Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. I'm going to read the section we've been in for the last couple of weeks. We're going to wrap up with it tonight, and uh, we're going to move into chapter 3 tonight as well. Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by its, his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished in it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now we're going to go down some roads tonight that some of you who have been steeped in religious tradition might be uncomfortable with. I'm just going to ask you to stick with us and let the Spirit of God and the Word of God do the teaching. All right. Now, we covered most of these verses in last week's study, and we'll begin chapter 3 tonight. But there are a couple of things that I rushed at the end of last week's study, and I want to give a little more time to them. And there was also something else here we didn't have time for last week. So we're going to stay in this section just for a little bit longer before we move on. Last week, I made this statement. If we consider ourselves good Christians because we don't do certain things, or because we practice certain habits, we have missed the point. Let me say that to you again. If we consider ourselves good Christians because we don't do certain things or we practice certain habits, we've missed the point. Our sanctification and our growth does not come from our actions and our efforts, but from Christ Jesus himself within us as we yield to him in faith. That's where real growth occurs. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. If you see here in verses, chapter 2, verses 17 to 19, listen to what he's talking about. He said these, the, the, the new moon festival or Sabbath day, they were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. He said, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to who? The head. The head. From whom, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows, look closely here, with a growth that is from God. This is where I want to spend some time tonight, because this is extremely important for us to grasp. Real spiritual growth, real growth as a Christian, does not come through you trying harder or you doing better. Too many Christians say, I'm trying my hardest to live the Christian life. The problem is, you can't live the Christian life. Amen. Apart from me, Jesus said in John 15, 5, you can do what? Nothing. 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 Oh, then God help me. No, no, no. He doesn't want to help you. He wants to do it. You didn't say, God, help me get saved. You didn't say, God, help me save myself. You said what? God, save, save me. God, forgive me. God, give me righteousness. I can't do it. In the same way, again, Colossians 2, 6, you can hear me quote it to you over and over and over till it makes it into your heart. In the same way in which you received Jesus, Jesus as Lord, walk in him. Here it says that our growth is actually from God. Go to uh, Galatians, just back up a couple of books, three actually. Galatians chapter 3, 
Look at verse 3. I love this. I got to back up to just verses 1, 2, and 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. I'm just having a hard time not backing up to chapter 2. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? You see, it's a capital S. The Holy Spirit by works of the law because you did the right things or by hearing with faith. Obvious answer is what? Hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or completing yourself by the flesh? Do you see it? In other words, this salvation began by the work of God, by hearing and responding in faith, and God did it. The rest of it happens the same way. You hear what God has for you, what he wants for you, you believe it, and you receive it by faith. It's a daily renewing of our mind. You know, in Romans 12, he says that we're to offer our bodies, our flesh, as a living sacrifice. We, we lay it on the altar, and we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're transformed by the renewing. And in the Greek, that word renewing actually means daily renewing of our minds. And that's what this whole process is, is being reminded of the fact that this isn't from my effort. This isn't from me trying harder. This is from me believing that God said that all this stuff that he had for me, he will do it. Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I love this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Do you see it? Who's supposed to be doing this work of sanctifying us? Jesus. It's not Jesus justified me, but I've got to work on my sanctification. When the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you've got to put it together with the rest of the verse there. In the next verse it says, for it's God who works in you both to do what? To will and to what? And to do or to act. Listen closely. God's the one who gives you the desire and he'll then do it. See, this past Sunday I was at a church uh, and, and the worship time was actually excellent. And this song right before the message, and I was preaching on something along these lines, which was, was kind of cool. The last song we sang was, Lord, I yearn for you. And I had the chance to get up and say, isn't that awesome? Didn't that sound good? Lord, I yearn for you. But how many of you really wish you could yearn like that song said? And of course, everybody was like, me. And that's I could look at him and say, just ask him. Ask him. He's the one who gives us the desire and he'll do it. Don't say, I want to yearn for God. Say, God, I don't yearn for you. I want to yearn for you. Lord, would you put in my heart a hunger for you? You say, Jim, that's that's not in the Bible. Oh, go to Second Thessalonians. <laughs> look at verse five. Second Thessalonians. Can you say it? Second Thessalonians chapter three. Chapter 3, look at verse 5. I love this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You see it? It doesn't say you need to love God more. It says, may God put your a heart for God in your heart. 
and the perseverance of Christ. May God do this work. Folks, you're going to see this as we go on. That's why as we move into chapter 3 in a little bit tonight, you're going to see how this all ties together. Too many Christians, when you say to them, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Their answer is, yes, I'm pretty sure I will because I trusted in Jesus and I'm trying to live a good life. No. I'm going to heaven, folks, even if I don't live a good life because Jesus gave it to me. Now, the Bible does say that if I truly am his, he'll finish what he started. And those of us who are born again won't go on sinning. It doesn't mean we won't sin, but actually there'll be a progression of more and more righteousness and more and more holiness in my praxis, if you will, in my daily life as the Spirit of God takes over. Or if I don't yield to that, what does the Bible say that my father will do if I am a disobedient child and I resist him trying to conform me? He'll take me home early. I don't lose my salvation. He just, the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 11, because some were taking the Lord's Supper incorrectly, some were sick, and some were dead. Bible teaches, that, please don't take this down a road that's unbiblical. But the Bible teaches that some sickness is tied to sin. Some issues in our life, physically, are because God's trying to get our attention about spiritual issues. Now, again, I don't want to chase this rabbit too far because I, I, don't, I don't want to go down this road. But, but let me just tell you, in the book of James, when it says, if any of you is sick, let him go to the elders of the church and have them pray for him. By the way, in the context of there, when it talks about anointing with oil, it could be translated because back then the oil was medicine. Remember how the Good Samaritan came and he put oil on the wounds of this guy that had been beaten? Back then, oil was a medicine type of a thing. The passage could be translated after having been treated with oil. In other words, after having been to the doctor, and they're all going, we don't know what it is. Go to the elders. Have them pray for you. And then as you look in the context of that passage, it then goes on and says this, and if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. You go back and double check me, you'll see it. That in the context of that passage, the healing physically was tied to sin. Sometimes when we are disobedient as God's children, he's already predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. If we yield to him, good. If we don't, he has to amp up the discipline in love, but it's not always pleasant at the time for his purposes. And sometimes people have a sickness that is tied to sin. Please don't hear me wrong here. There are some sicknesses that aren't even tied to sin at all, but because of God's grace and what he's trying to do, he's going to leave it because he's going to show his power through them, as Paul learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and following. He had prayed three times that that would be removed, and God said, no, I'm actually, for your situation, I'm leaving it for what I... So don't just assume that if someone is sick that they are sinning. That's one of the biggest problems I deal with a lot. I actually answer a lot of questions online from people who find out about my ministry and they want to know. And they think that if someone had enough faith, they wouldn't have that issue anymore. That doesn't match up with Scripture. Yes, there is a truth that the Bible teaches that God uses sometimes sickness and death to get our attention. But that doesn't mean that every sickness means there's sin. And if they had enough faith, it would be gone. That doesn't, that doesn't line up with the Scripture either. So what I want you to see, though, is this. God is desiring to accomplish this work in us. But if you keep trying to do it yourself, you're not going to get there in the way that God wants you to. He's going to finally get you to that point where, as it happened to me, I gave up. Some of you have heard my story. I'm not going to take the time to tell the whole deal. But about 14 years ago, while I was pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic, 
after having been saved in 1973, walking with the Lord pretty much my whole life, and used in ministry, quote-unquote successful as a pastor around the country, God had done all these things, I was miserable. Oh, I'm preaching on the radio, being used of God in different places, and I was driving down the road on US 1 14 years ago, and I said to the Lord, if this is all there is to the Christian life, take me home. I'm miserable. I read about joy and peace, but I don't have it. And God asked me a really simple question. He said, you're really trying to be a good Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am. And then he asked me this question. It's been the funnest, greatest question. He said, how's that working out for you? <laughs> it's not. And he began to teach me what it is I hope to be used to God to show you here. I had known that I couldn't save myself and that God had to do it, but I had been taught by the church that now it's up to me to put in the work. The work is acting in obedience to what he said, believing that he'll do it. Now, look again real quickly at this familiar passage you've heard me teach from quite a bit. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Oh, by the way, when I stopped trying to get better, I got better. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But, okay, we've already talked on that a lot, but don't miss this next section. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, this is a process. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Remember how he said that in Colossians 2? Into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look closely what's going on here. These... Pastors that God's given us, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. They're going to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry. Why? So that in that process of you realizing that this isn't a spectator sport, that people like me have been called by God to equip you to actually go and lead people to Jesus Christ and tell people about your relationship with Jesus or encourage people or to give to ministry or to whatever it is that your part of the body is, that you would just be just jumping into what God's called you to do. As you do, you're going to experience the power of God start working through you in such a way you won't be excuse me, susceptible to false teaching and all this stuff that's out there that's leading many Christians astray because most Christians think Christianity is sitting in a seat, listening to some guy teach, and then taking notes. And if you think that's Christianity, you've got all the diplomas and all the plaques of all the discipleship courses you've taken, and you think you're a Christian now because you, or a better Christian because you've had the courses. You're going to be susceptible to a lot of false teaching. I made in my notes here. Uh, who are we to grow up into, according to this passage? Christ. Into Christ. A deeper knowledge, more maturity, and when it comes to really knowing Jesus himself personally. And on top of that, what are we to watch out for, according to this passage? False teaching. It's called every wind of doctrine. I love that word that they chose, every wind of doctrine. The latest thing blowing through Christianity. Human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Well, let me ask you this question. How will you know 
if what you're being taught is the truth. <laughs> I heard some. I heard somebody over here. You all got it. Let's go to John 17, 17 first. Start there. And then we're going to come back to you in Acts 17. John 17, 17. Remember how the Bible says that we already read it, that may God himself sanctify you completely. Look at John 17, 17, what Jesus prayed. He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. All right, go to Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11. In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things, these things were so. You see it? Folks, I want you to examine everything you hear from me according to the scriptures. I want you to examine. Trust me, I take very seriously the fact that I'm standing up here and saying, thus says the Lord. Because I know the Bible says that I will be judged more strictly than those who don't say, thus says the Lord, because your role is different. The Bible says so in James chapter 3, verse 1. So I take it very seriously. I'm not going to just throw something out to you that I think is the latest craze. I'm going to be showing you stuff that I believe the whole of Scripture teaches, not just one verse even. Amen. I'm going to let the whole of Scripture kind of, kind of confirm it in my heart before I even share it with you. I'm going to do something real quick here and just talk on something real quick. I want to develop it later on for another time, but I want to just say something to you that I want you to hear. God is going to use the word to sanctify you, correct? Yes. You're to be spending your time in it, getting to know it. But listen closely. Here's where most Christians make their mistake. They look at the word of God and they study it to find out what God's rules and regulations are. They see God's Bible, God's written word as a set of rules and regulations to follow. That's not what the Bible is. Just recently, when I was up in Michigan and was driving, uh, like I say, I flew into Detroit, got a rental car, but I brought with me something Becky bought me for Christmas a couple Christmases ago, and I thank God for it. It's a GPS. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I thank God for that GPS. You know why? I used to, when I started out 10 years ago in this traveling ministry, not have a GPS. I had MapQuest. Now, back in the day, I thought MapQuest was the thing. But you know what? I learned to hate MapQuest. You know why? I wasn't sure if I was following the instructions right. You're driving down the road looking, well, how many more miles? And what's the, oh, and then, as you know, sometimes the road names aren't the same as what they have there. And I'm not sure I'm doing this right. But then out came GPS. <laughs> Instead of me hoping I'm following the instructions correctly, this voice says, turn right now. Turn left here. Oh, I'm not going to develop it right now because I want to, but listen closely. I found this out today talking to one of the guys on my board. Do you know how many satellites you need to have an accurate pinpointing of where you are? Oh, I love that. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen closely. Do I still miss some roads? Do you still miss some roads when you have a GPS? 
You know what's cool? The GPS doesn't berate you. The GPS pretty much says this. Hang on for a second. It says, I already know all the roads. I can get you there from here. Just listen to me now. Sometimes you might have to do a U-turn. Sometimes it just might take you a little bit longer. And you might be, but you know what? The GPS, God's positioning system, says, <laughs> I got you. I, wouldn't you rather live by a GPS than MapQuest? We are as a Christians. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, God said, I'm the one who led you into the wilderness. I'm the one who caused you to hunger. I'm the one who made you thirsty. I'm the one who did all these things. I did it to humble you and remind you of your dependence. I did it to test you, to show you where your heart really was. And I did it for a third reason, to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone. In other words, you thought your problem was food. Man doesn't live by his latest issue getting fixed. As soon as my car's fixed, or as soon as I get a better marriage, or as soon as I get a better job, or as soon as my health improves, Man doesn't live by the latest issue in your life getting fixed, but man lives by what? Every word, listen, that proceeds, not has proceeded, but proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, God said all along, I've wanted you to live according to my GPS as my spirit leads you in how you are to live. Even in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says you will hear a voice that says, turn to the left or to the, to the right. Isaiah 30, 21. All along, God has said, I have designed you to listen to me. We looked at it earlier in this study. How we looked at the nation of Israel and how he's going to put his law in their hearts and he's going to move them to follow him. But what have we done? We have turned the Bible, which God has designed to help us recognize which voice is the real GPS. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. There are other people out there talking to you. You know that, right? Satan, the world, your flesh, <laughs> demons. The Bible has been given to us so that we will recognize the real voice of God as he speaks and leads us. It has not been given to us as a set of instructions to follow. And that's why we as Christians fight with each other over, <laughs> you ever done this in the car with your wife when they're fighting over the map quest? It said turn right here. I don't think it really meant that. I think it meant there. <laughs> and we as Christians have turned the Bible into a set of instructions to follow. The Bible's been given to us so that we'll know the real voice of God. Now listen to me. And Jim is not an angry God. No. He is not an angry God. He's, I love the fact that he's like my GPS that says, right, let's get going from here. I can get you there from here. I can get you there from here. You can keep going on that road if you want to, but I know where it really goes and it's not good. But you can listen to me and follow that riddle red line, you know, kind of a thing. But when I talk to you about getting in the word, do not use the word of God as your way to say that you know more than your brother or your sister. As God has begun to do in my heart, he's begun to show me what the book really, really says. By the way, I can give you examples upon, for, for the rest of tonight to just show you what I'm talking about. But let me just give you one simple one. For years, there have been passages in Scripture that I just didn't understand and that gave me bellyache. But it wasn't until later that God just kind of unlocked it and opened it. And all of a sudden, it makes a ton of sense. For example, how many of you over the years have had a bellyache? Whenever you read that Lot offered his two virgin daughters 
to the homosexuals who are coming after the angels. Anybody else have a bellyache over that? How many of you, like myself, have read that and gone, oh, I got two girls. How, I would never. How could Lot, and the Bible says he's a righteous man. How could Lot offer his daughters? Because if you read the scriptures, it says he said to them, here are two virgin girls. They've never slept with anyone. Do whatever you want with them. I remember reading it and cringing and going, ah, how would you do that? Go, Lot. That's, how could I say you're righteous? But you know what? As God begins to really show you the depth of what's really going on here, if you take time to meditate on the word, you'll find out what I found out. Lot didn't offer his daughters. You say, Jim, it says so he did. Listen closely. Look in the context of that story. You go back and look later on and double check me. Right after Lot says to these guys, here are some girls. They've never been with a man. Do whatever you want with them. The reaction of the homosexual men is, who are you to judge us? Did you catch that? They didn't hear it as an offer. They heard it as judge scorn. In other words, Lot wasn't offering his daughters. They weren't behind him going, Daddy, don't say that. He was just literally saying, hey, guys, God created you to be interested in girls. Here are some girls. They're virgin girls. They find that most people should be interested if they're men. And they heard what he was really saying. He was, they go, who are you to judge us? They didn't think that he was offering their, his daughters at all. He was just pointing out their sin. Do you see how that passage all of a sudden opens up? Folks, let me just tell you, the Word of God is like this. If you lit the Spirit of God, as you take time to meditate on those passages, and stop just saying, well, my Bible says. No, let the Spirit of God and the whole of Scripture come together, and you'll find that it doesn't contradict itself anywhere. But this takes time as the Lord teaches you how to recognize who he really is. You're starting to say something? Just, just that even today the world is saying they use that verse, judge not, lest you be judged. Right, exactly. People use the, Bible, the passage, judge not, lest you be judged. It's actually not saying don't judge. It's actually saying just make sure that in the measure you judge, you understand that it will come back on you. It tells us to be discerning. The Bible says, you see, brother in sin, Galatians 6, 1, you who are spiritual, restore them gently, but be careful so you don't fall into the same thing. There's lots of things. What I want you to hear is this, because we're going to keep moving. When the Bible says, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, stop using the Bible as a set of rules and understand, I want to get into this book so I would really understand the heart of God. I'll be honest with you, there's still some things in here that I don't understand, but I have to leave it to God. I have to leave it to God. But at the same time, the more I spend time I spend in this book, not trying to find out the rules and the regulations, but trying to find out the heart of God, the more I've come to realize how much the passage. You know all these passages that I just showed you tonight that talks about how God's the one who's going to make you grow, and God's the one who's going to sanctify you, and God's the one who's going to change your heart? I didn't ever see those before. I saw all the other ones, which we'll deal with some tonight and the rest of the study. It'll, as we get into chapter 3, it starts talking about putting away sexual morality and these types of things. I'm going to help you understand that now instead of a rules and regulations, but what the passage is really saying in just a little bit here. But who is God in us? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. We never claimed it. That's the problem. And I would agree with you. And I think, and I would agree, I would change the word claim mainly because most people misunderstand the main yeah. word claim. I know what you mean by it. But I just simply believe it. Exactly. You see, some people, some people hear claim. Exactly. Well, this is what he's dealing with here. People saying you need this extra experience or this other thing that we're having that you don't have. Paul says, uh-uh, you've got all the fullness of Christ in you already. 
The fullness of deity lived in bodily form in Jesus, and you've been given fullness in Christ. You don't need anything more. You need to learn how to believe everything that's been promised. And that is a process. It's not going to happen in a special service. It's not going to happen in, oh, I get it now. This is going to be a process. The Bible's taught that all along. But the question is, are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or have you already made your theology box about who God is? And you judge everybody else by whether or not they see it the way you see it. I saw a hand over here. Yes, sir. Probably just one pointing to the Holy Spirit there. You know, that said, revelation, that supernatural revelation that he gives us. And we understand, you know, yes. it opens that up. Yeah, it does. It really does help. All right. Now, go back to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 20 through 23, because there's something here uh, that most people don't understand. And I hope that tonight the Lord will help you to grasp this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that, are all, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Listen closely. He says, look, since we've died with Christ to the things of the world, why do we think that obedience to rules and regulations in the world is really what's going to bring us growth in our Christian life? And then on top of that, he makes this interesting statement. He said, even though they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism or, you know, keeping something from our flesh and severity to the body. Listen closely. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, if you try to become better by I'm not going to ever have a drink or I'm not going to ever have a cigarette or I'm not going to. If you think you're going to get better by not doing certain things, let me tell you something. First of all, that's not going to stop the indulgence of the flesh at all. Those of you that have tried, by the way, anybody had a little trouble with alcohol in this room? Anybody had a little trouble with a sin, certain sin? Have you ever tried to stop? <laughs> let me ask you God's question. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> now, let me show you something that Paul doesn't bring out here, but he does in other parts of the scriptures. Let me show you why that didn't help. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Trying to stop sinning. Or to have victory over sin in the flesh will not come from our efforts, no matter how severe they may be. They may not, they're not going to come from our efforts to stop on our own. Actually, listen closely. Whenever we give ourselves a set of rules to follow in order to defeat our flesh, we don't realize it, but we have just made it even harder because the Bible says the law fuels sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, in this passage about the fact that we're going to get some new, bod uh, new bodies, and when, when we go to heaven, when, starting in, in uh, verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, or I'm going to reveal a secret to you here. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Listen closely to verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
Don't miss this. When it says the power of sin is the law, what it's saying is this. What fuels sin is the law. I see on your faces, you're like, what in the world are you saying? The Bible, and I'm going to show you in many other places here. The Bible actually shows us that the law, when God says thou shalt not, it actually makes us want to do the thou shalt not even more now because of the sinfulness of our flesh. So, and I'm going to lay this all out for you from Scripture. So I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. I'm going to show you from the Scriptures and then I'm going to hopefully reteach it again. So hopefully it sinks in. If you think that you're going to get better as a Christian or you're going to get victory over sin by giving yourself a set of rules to follow. And you're going to be faithful to follow those rules. How many of you have made a vow? I am going to get up every morning early and I'm going to read my Bible first thing. Have you ever done that? How many of you even bought a book and you even marked the first date I remember even writing, Lord, today I vow. I will spend time with you first thing. Because we were told that's what you're supposed to do. Well, didn't David write that morning, noon, and night I meditate on your law? Therefore, if you're a good Christian, John, and we're still dealing with that question. But if you're a good Christian, John, you will read your Bible every morning. And if you don't, you're not a good Christian. Isn't that kind of stuff we hear? Yeah, you have the, remember the offering envelopes? I read my Bible today. I brought my Bible. I read my Sunday school lesson. By the way, I, I wish I could bring you my notebooks. <laughs> I didn't even get a week. And then the next day was, I'm really sorry, Lord. Please forgive me, and I'll do better. And then I might even get another three days. And then, oh, God, I'm sorry. I slipped again. Let me, let me show you from Romans chapter 7. All along, the Bible has said that the rules and the regulations are actually going to fuel your sin. They're not going to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, Romans 7, verse 1, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, talking to the Jews, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband's alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, listen closely, our sinful passions Aroused by what? The law. the law aroused my sinful and your sinful passions. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Keep reading. What then shall we say that the law is sin? No, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I would, would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Listen closely. But sin, seizing the, an opportunity through the commandment, in other words, the commandment made me want to sin, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Paul said, I didn't even know what coveting was. Some of you probably still don't. But when the law said, don't covet, 
and by the way, coveting is wishing you had some of your neighbor's stuff. Paul said, because of God's law, all of a sudden I had this desire to covet. We've already talked about it. You know, you're walking down the road and someone has their sign on their lawn, don't step on my grass. Now you want to. When my daughter uh, Nicole was uh, at UCF, they had this in the middle of the student union building, this big Pegasus symbol. And they had, you know what I'm talking about, Thomas, you, you've seen it. All around it, they had these little bank ropes around this whole thing. And it's in the middle of this huge building where the students are going everywhere. But no one is allowed to step on the Pegasus until after you graduate. And there even is this, this, ooh, if you step on it, you won't graduate. I was there for orientation weekend with Nicole, my first weekend, and you don't realize how hard it was for me. I wanted to go dance on that thing and say, there's no ropes that are gonna keep me out, oh, come on, look at this. But I was a good boy, but everything in me, I didn't even care about this Pegasus thing, but once I heard that you're not allowed to step on that, I now wanted to dance on it naked. Did I let you in too far? Did I let you in too far? <laughs> Go to Romans 5. Go to look at Romans 5. <laughs> Someone's over there. I need some mental sorbet. Uh, cleanse that palate. Romans 5. Listen to Romans 5. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Now the law came. Why? To increase what? Which is what? Sin. So the Bible says law came so that sin would increase. We've been taught all along in the church that if we make the rules and the regulations, people will stop sinning. They just need to follow the rules. You've not read your Bible. The law was given. Why? So that the sin would increase. Well, why does God want sin to increase? Because of this. The Bible actually says that we're all guilty of sin. But the problem is, man doesn't realize it. The Bible actually says, if you go take a look at what Paul's talking about in here, he said, even though Adam and Eve broke a commandment, and they sinned by breaking a commandment, and because of that, they died, all the people from Adam, even until the law came at the time of Moses, they all died. They never broke any commandments of God, but there was still sin, because it was evidenced by the fact that the soul that sins, it shall die. And the fact that they died, it was evidence that they still had sin. Did they realize it? Not really. So God brought the law so that we would realize what is really the problem. That's why you'll see Jesus when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't say, sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me first. What does he say first? He says, keep the law. Wait a minute, Lord, you're the one that wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, that no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Oh, keep reading. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, the law's purpose is to bring to life what is already there that you don't know is there. Folks, whether you realize it or not, we've all got a sin problem. And whether you realize it or not, even though you're saved, because you still have this body of death, you still got a sin problem if you live in the spirit versus in the, I mean, live in the flesh versus in the spirit. And too many people in the Christian life have not been taught that even though God has saved us, we still struggle with sin as long as we, listen, as long as we still try to defeat sin in our own effort or the flesh. Oh, but I got good news for you. Go to Galatians chapter 6. No, sorry, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16 and following. But I say, walk by the Spirit, again the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you see it? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the th things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the evidence of the, the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now listen to what he says then. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Did you catch that? Living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit are two different things. How many of you live by the Spirit? Show of hands. Now, I know that more of you in here do, but you don't understand what I just asked you. See, because when you heard me say, do you live by the Spirit, you heard, do you walk by the Spirit? How many of you, show of hands, are born again through faith in Jesus Christ? All right, put your hands down. Those are the people that should have raised their hands when I said, how many of you live by the Spirit? What happened when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? You passed from death to life. You have been made alive, as the Bible says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You have been made alive by the Spirit of God. Let me ask you again. How many of you in here live by the Spirit? According to this passage, every one of us in here that knows Jesus as our Savior, we are alive because of the Spirit. Now, if we live by the Spirit, if you've been born again by the Spirit, if you're saved by the Spirit of God and sealed by the Spirit of God, now we need to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, listen to the GPS. You see, because you're going to have lots of temptations to take roads that God doesn't want you to take. It's going to happen daily. Oh, you know where it's going to come from? Go to James real quick. Go to James chapter 1. I want you to know where it's coming from. James chapter 1. And unfortunately, we will not get into chapter 3 tonight like I thought, but it's okay because of my notes. I've already written my notes for next week. So I'm ahead of schedule. James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1. I want you to see what it says here. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire, then desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. You already have the propensity to sin within you. It's in your flesh still. It has not been redeemed yet. That happens at the rapture when we get our new bodies. What's going to fuel your desire to sin? Rules and regulations, the law. That's why as we live in this daily life in the body, 
yet of the Spirit. If we have been made alive by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, we need to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. And what we've been taught was when the temptation to get off the GPS path, when that temptation comes, we've been taught to say no to sin. Yeah, but the Bible actually teaches it's more saying yes to God so that you can say no to sin. Do you see the difference? If you say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have that drink. I'm not going to look at that thing on the computer. I'm not going to turn on that channel. I'm not going to say those things. I'm not going to spread that gossip. I'm not. Guess what ends up happening? Where have you been focusing? See, you get this stuff within you. I get it too, guys. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, right at the section we stopped reading, he said, I got this problem. He said, the things I want to do, I don't. Things that I don't want to do, I do. And people say, well, he was talking about before salvation. No, no, no. Keep reading. Twice in that passage, he says, whenever I sin now, it is therefore no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. That means a transition has occurred. He's talking about after salvation. And he understood who will save me from this body of death. And he gives the answer. Hello there, Marie. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. Folks, we need to learn now how to walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. If so, Paul says, so I say, if you live by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. So we've got to reprogram. We've got to stop trying to do bad things and start learning how to know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you, Set you free. And focus on things that are above. Boy, that sounds familiar. Well, only because I've read ahead. That's what he says in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, doesn't it? Go real quick to Colossians chapter 3. I actually think we'll have time to get into it. You guys listen quick. That was good. Let's see why you like getting older. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Roman, uh, Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, your sexual in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, process, in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, we're going to stop there. That's the section we're going to break down next week when we come back. I'm going to pull out just one thing from this section as we close today. But you're going to see all this. We're going to deal with, next time we come together, how do we put to death what's already been put to death? Because didn't it say we already died to the law? We've already died to sin because we've already united with Christ. We're going to deal with that when we come back together. How do I put to death what's already been put to death? I've already given you a taste. You focus on the side that's already beat it. You learn how to walk in the Spirit. You learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. All right? But what I want to do is I want to just... I've just been looking forward to this the whole night. The word if here could be translated since. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. All right. 
Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are in the earth. Okay, because you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ. All right. Since we've been set free from, from the control of our flesh, we're to focus our thoughts on the truth of who we are in Jesus and not focus on defeating our flesh. Now, we unfortunately often focus our thoughts and our efforts on things of the earth. And we've already looked at Galatians 5.16 where it says, focus, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All right. What I want to do is in the time we have left, I just think it'd be fun for us to look at some scriptural examples of people who were living in this world, in the natural, but they weren't focused on what was going on around them, but they were focused on the, the real world, the spiritual realm. Okay. That's what I want to do. I'm going to show you just a few stories real quick in the time we have. And I want to use that to encourage you today that God has said, we're, going to, we're not going to worry about this putting away sin stuff. Put that on the burner for now. We'll deal with that more next week. Right now, as an encouragement, as we wrap up, as we go home tonight, I want to encourage you to begin to just focus on the reality of what the scripture really says is real and be able to get in, begin to see the truth when we're in the middle of stuff that all is grabbing our attention in the physical realm. All right. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, so we don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Whether you realize it or not, God's still doing that work. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What I want to do is encourage you to learn to focus on the things that are unseen versus the things that are seen. Let me give you an example real quick. As I told you at the beginning, for those that were here, and I was stuck in the airport with all those other people, there was a big difference between the attitude of those who were focusing on the unseen versus those who were focusing on the seen. I hurt for those poor employees who had no control over the snowstorm in Chicago and who really don't control whether or not Southwest cancels flights. But they were the ones who had to stand there and deal with all these people that felt like they had inconvenienced them. I had a chance to go and bless these people and say, I know you're doing a hard job. I know you have no control over this. And I just want you to know I've been real proud as I stood here in this line and watched you just smile as best you can. I wanted to let you know that I'm watching. And I, and I want to just thank you for that. Because I know they had been unblessed by a bunch of people. I wanted to at least bless. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to I'm going to have you write these down. I'm going to just tell you the stories because of the time we have. In John chapter 19 verses 10 and 11, write down and look at it later. Jesus is standing before Pilate and Pilate says, "Don't you realize I have the authority to either have you killed or set free?" But Jesus was not looking at the physical. He was looking at the spiritual and he looked at Pilate calmly and said, you have no authority over me unless it were given you from above. I've dealt with too many pastors that say, well, at my age, no church will hire me. I look at them and say, the Bible says Jesus told the church in Revelation chapter three. He said, I'm the God that whatever door I open, no man can shut. You're looking at the physical. I'm looking at the spiritual. 
Hey, I'm going to tell you right now. Becky and I have been blessed. We have been given enough money to go on a cruise to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary. God has blessed us. It's going to happen in a couple of months, and we're beyond excited. The hard part was we have been raised our whole life to hide these types of things because of the reaction of the church. And we're not going to tell you who said it, but we were even told by somebody when they found out, they said, don't tell anyone. Because if people find out you're going to Hawaii, they'll stop giving to the ministry because they think you've got too much money. Everything in me wanted to tell that person, is that your attitude? Are you going to stop giving because you were going to Hawaii? But I, Lord, made me bite my tongue. <laughs> but you know what? That's looking at it with man's eyes. The Bible says that we're to celebrate with those who celebrate. We're to mourn with those who mourn. And folks, we just want to brag on our good God and say thank you to the generous people and to our awesome God. I cannot wait to run around Hawaii with my wife. It's going to be fun. There might be somebody in Hawaii that needs me as well. Hey, it, uh, trust me. You, they'll hear from, hear, hear from me about God the whole wherever I go. I mean, we don't worry about that. But let me give you another example. In John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you all are going to leave me. You're all going to go away. But I won't be alone. The Father will be with me. Oh, by the way, Paul said the exact same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, at my first defense, nobody stood there with me, but all left me. But I wasn't alone. God was with me. He could have looked at the physical where everybody split. He could have looked at the physical where all his friends weren't there, where nobody took care of him. They didn't call. If they really cared, they would have said something. But he didn't. He focused on the reality of what's real and that God will never leave me nor forsake me. Even if they all go away, I'll be fine because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But too many of us get focused on the physical and not the spiritual. We don't look at what is seen. If we're going to set our minds on things above, let's just start here and let's look at what is unseen. Paul also, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, says, I'm sitting here in this prison. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but you know what? I'm not even worried about that part of it, because if I die, I get to go to be with heaven, be with God, which Jesus, which is better by far. If I stay, I'll get more reward for fruitful labor. You know what? I'm torn between the two. Isn't that awesome? He's sitting in prison, not sure if he's going to live or die, and he doesn't even care whether or not it's a beheading or a stoning or a whatever it is. He's more focused on, either way, it's good for me. Either way, it's good for me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Not knowing whether or not they were going to live when Nebuchadnezzar says, Is your God able to rescue you from this fire? They said, You know what? He's able. But whether he will or not, that doesn't make any difference to us. We're still going to bow down. What did Stephen say while they were stoning him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he saw the spiritual. He saw the spiritual. He wasn't focused on what's going on. Folks, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. We could go on and on. I could spend all night showing you. It's all throughout the Bible where Elisha tells his, prays for his servant and says, Oh God, open his eyes. Because the servant was all freaked out because that army had surrounded them. And he says, Oh, open his eyes, God. Let him see that there's more with us than there are them. <coughs> Folks, my prayer for you is that God would open your eyes. That you begin 
We'll deal with how to say no to sin next week. For right now, let's just begin to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, I'm also going to encourage you with a failure. You see, in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is walking on the water and they're all afraid. They think he's a ghost. And he says, relax, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. Now, Peter, look, read it. You can read it yourself. He walked on the water. But what does Peter do next? The Bible says, looking at the wind and the waves, he began to sink. You know what? Jesus grabs him by the hand and says, I know all the roads. I can get you still there from here. Folks, you and I are all going to have days where we're people of faith and then other days when we're not. I have great days and I have not so great days. I can sound like a man of faith when I'm up here full of the spirit of God and preaching and teaching his word. But you know what? I'm just as human as every one of you. And there are times when the giving's down that I start to worry, even though God has taken care of us for how long? I'm like Paul. I'm like Peter. I'm like them all. We have good days and bad days. But I'm praying by the grace of God as I yield to him that my good days of faith will come, become more and more and more. Amen. And it begins by not looking at what is seen, but what is unseen. Oh, by the way, how are you going to know what's unseen? You've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the fact that you're able tonight through the folks here that are here. And I could even see it on their faces. As I told these stories from your word, they weren't looking at me like I've never heard that story before. Lord, thank you for people that read your word. And, and I, I know they're blessed because of it. But Lord, take us into a deeper understanding as you promised you would. But we ask you to do it. Lord, may we not study your word more. May we not in our own strength do more Bible study. And Lord, put it in our hearts. Give us a hunger. Your word even says train up a child. And that means put up. Put a desire in them in the way they should go. Father, we as your children ask you to train us up in the way we should go. Put that hunger within us. Lord, in that, in that, that passage there in Proverbs, it's a, it's a picture of a, a mother sticking her finger in a little bit of wine and rubbing the palate of the baby's mouth to get it to start sucking so that it desires to nurse. Father, put your finger in wine if you have to and stick it on the roof of our mouths of our hearts. Put in us a desire for more of you. Put in us a desire for more of your word. Father, may we not think that if we do more reading, we'll grow. Lord, put it in us. May it just happen. May we stop thinking that if these people would just follow these rules, they'd be okay. Lord, may we understand that even though it looks like it's a man, a, a powerful way of having religion or it seems to have a severe treatment of the body, it has no ability to stop sensual indulgence. But you have promised for each of us, if we'll believe what you have promised us, you will give it to us by your grace. You also said you'll do it in your time and in your way. May we trust you with that as well. So, Lord, bring us back. Thank you for our new venue next week. Bring us back next week to really get, begin to dive into these passages that for the years have caused us to try to do it ourselves and miss the deeper parts. Bring us to the deeper parts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.